Chapter six of Grace Harlowe, Sophomore Year at High School. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Christine Blashford. Grace Harlowe, Sophomore Year at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. Chapter six The Deepest Possible Disgrace. A feeling of depression swept over Grace Harlowe as she looked out the window the next morning. The rain was falling heavily and the skies were sullen and grey. What a miserable day for the game was her first thought. I do hope the rain won't keep people away. This weather is enough to discourage anyone. All morning she watched anxiously for the clouds to lift, going from window to door until her mother told her to stop fretting about the weather and save her strength for the coming game. The game was set for two o'clock, but at one Grace put on her raincoat and set out for the high school. She knew she was early, but she felt that she couldn't stay in the house a minute longer. One by one the sophomore team and its substitutes assembled, but the rain had dampened their spirits and the enthusiasm of the past few days had left them. Grace looked worried as she noticed how listless her players seemed. She wished it had been one of those cold, crisp days that set the blood tingling and make the heart beat high with hope. Still, Grace felt confident that her team would rise to the occasion when the game was called. They were too well trained, too certain of their powers to ever think of failing. The bad weather had evidently not depressed the spirits of their opponents. The juniors stood about laughing and talking. Julia Crosby moved from one girl to the other, whispering slyly. Wretch, thought Grace, how disagreeable she is. She was born too late. She should have lived in the Middle Ages, when plotting was the fashion. She is anything but a credit to her class and dear old Oakdale High School. Grace's rather vehement reflections were cut short by the approach of Miss Thompson, who stopped to say a word of cheer to the girls before taking her seat in the gallery. Well, Grace, she said, this is a rather bad day outside, but still there will be a few loyal souls to cheer you on to victory. May the best man win. You must put forth every energy if you expect to conquer the juniors, however. They have held the championship a long time. They will not hold it after today if we can help it, answered Grace. We feel fairly sure that we can whip them. That is the right spirit, said Miss Thompson. Confidence is first cousin to success, you know. Was there ever a teacher quite like Miss Thompson? asked Nora, as the principal left them to take her seat in the gallery. She is a dear, said Marion Barber, and she's on our side too. There's the referee now, exclaimed Grace. Now, girls, make up your minds to play as you never played before. Remember, it's for the honour of the sophomores. By this time, the gallery was half filled with an audience largely composed of high school boys and girls. A few outsiders were present. Mrs. Harlow had come to see her daughter's team win the game, she said, for she knew that Grace's heart was set on victory. The referee, timekeeper and scorer chosen from the senior class took their places. The whistle blew and the teams lined up. There was a round of loud applause from the fans of both teams. The players presented a fine appearance. The earnest do-or-die expression on every face made the spectators feel that the coming game would be well worth seeing. The rival captains faced each other, ready to jump for the ball the instant it left the referee's hands. There was a moment of expectant silence. Then the referee put the ball in play, the whistle blew, and the game began. Both captains sprang for the ball, but alas for the sophomores, Julia Crosby caught it and threw it to the junior right forward. It looked for a minute as though the juniors would score without effort, but Nora O'Malley, who was left guard, succeeded so effectually in annoying her opponent that when the bewildered goal-thrower did succeed in throwing the ball, it fell wide of the basket. It had barely touched the floor before there was a rush for it, and the fun waxed fast and furious. During the first five minutes, neither side scored, then the tide turned in favour of the juniors, and they netted the ball. Grace Harlow set her teeth, resolving to play harder than ever. The juniors should not score again if she could help it. Nora had the ball and was dribbling it for dear life. Grace signalled her team, who responded instantly, but to their consternation the juniors seemed to understand the signal as fully as did their own team, and quickly blocking their play, scored again. There was a howl of delight from the junior fans in the gallery. The sudden triumph of the enemy seemed to daze the sophomores. They looked at their captain in amazement, then sprang once more to their work. 
but the trend the game was taking had affected them, and in their desperate efforts to score they made mistakes. Miriam Nesbitt ran with the ball and a foul was called, which resulted in the juniors scoring a point. Nora O'Malley, in her excitement, caught the forward she was guarding by the arm, and again a foul was called. This time, however, the juniors made nothing from it. But the precious time was flying, and only four minutes of the first half remained. Again Grace signalled for another secret play, and again the juniors rose to the occasion and thwarted her. It was maddening. The score stood seven to zero in favour of the juniors. Miriam Nesbitt had the ball now and was trying to throw it. She stood near the junior basket. Eluding her guard, who was dancing about in front of her, she made a wild throw. Whether by accident or design, it was hard to tell, but the ball landed squarely in the junior basket. A whoop went up from the gallery. The whistle blew and the first half was over. The score stood nine to zero in favour of the enemy. The last two points had been presented to the juniors. Up in the gallery, discussion ran rife. The admirers of the juniors were loud in their praise of the superior ability of the team. The junior class, who were sitting in a body at one end of the gallery, grew especially noisy and were laughing derisively at the downfall of the sophomores. Miss Thompson was puzzled. "'I cannot imagine what ails my sophomores,' she said to the teacher next to her. "'I understood that they were such fine players, yet they don't seem to be able to hold their own. It looks as though their defeat were inevitable unless they do some remarkable playing during the next half.' Mrs. Harlow, too, was disappointed. She wondered why Grace had boasted so much of her team. After all, they are little more than children, she thought. Those juniors seem older to me. As for Grace and her team, they were sitting in a room just off the gymnasium, gloomily discussing the situation. Tears of mortification stood in Nora's eyes, while Grace was putting forth every effort to appear calm. She knew that if she showed the least sign of faltering, all would be lost. Her players must feel that she still had faith in their ability to win. "'We are not beaten yet, girls,' she said, "'and I believe we shall make up in the last half what we lost in the first. "'Work fast, but keep your wits about you. "'Don't give the referee any chance to call a foul. "'We can't spare a minute from now on. "'When I give the signal for a certain play, be on the alert, "'and please, please don't any of you present these juniors with any more points. "'I'm not blaming you, Miriam, for I know that last throw of yours was an accident, "'but I could have cried when that ball went into the basket.' "'Miriam's face flushed. "'Then, realising that all eyes were turned toward her, she said sarcastically, "'Really, Miss Harlow, it's so kind of you to look at it in that light. "'However, anyone with common sense would have known without being told "'that I never intended that ball for the juniors.' "'I am not so sure of that,' muttered Nora, "'who, seeing the hurt look that crept into Grace's eyes at Miriam's words, "'immediately rose in behalf of her captain. "'Miriam whirled on Nora. "'What did you say?' asked Miriam angrily. "'Before Nora could answer, the whistle blew. "'Intermission was over, and the second half was on. "'The teams changed baskets and stood in readiness for work. "'Once more, Grace and Julia Crosby faced each other. "'There was a malicious gleam in Julia's eye "'and a look of determination in Grace's. "'With a spring, Grace caught the ball as it descended "'and threw it to Nora, who, eluding her guard, "'tossed it to Miriam. "'With unerring aim, Miriam sent the ball into the basket "'and the sophomores scored for the first time.' Their friends in the gallery applauded vigorously and began to take heart, but their joy was short-lived, for, as the play proceeded, the sophomores steadily lost what little ground they had gained. Try as they might, they could make no headway. Grace called for play after play, only to find that in some inexplicable way the enemy seemed to know just what she meant and acted accordingly. The game neared its close, and the sophomores fought with the desperation of the doomed. They knew that they could not win save by a miracle, but they resolved to die hard. The ball was in Miriam's hands, and she made a feint at throwing it to Nora, but whirled and threw it to Grace, who, divining her intention, ran forward to receive it. 
There was a rush on the part of the juniors. Julia Crosby, crossing in front of Grace, managed slyly to thrust one foot forward. Grace tripped and fell to the floor, twisting one leg under her. The ball rolled on and was caught by the enemy, who threw it to the goal just as the whistle sounded for the last time. The juniors had won. The score stood seventeen to two in their favour. The scorer attempted to announce it, but her voice was lost in the noisy yells of the junior class in the gallery. The fact that Grace Harlow still sat on the gymnasium floor passed for a moment unnoticed. In the final grand rush for the ball, the other players failed to see that their valiant captain still occupied the spot where she fell. Tumbles were not infrequent, and Grace was well able to take care of herself. Anne Pearson alone saw Julia Crosby's foot slide out, and scenting treachery, hastily left her seat in the gallery. She ran as fast as she could to where Grace sat, reaching her a few seconds after the whistle blew. "'Good little Anne,' called Grace. "'You have come to my rescue, even though the others have deserted me. "'Perhaps you can help me up. "'I tried it, but my ankle hurts every time I try to stand.' "'Her face was very white, and Anne saw that she was in great pain. "'By this time, Grace's team, realizing she was not with them, "'began looking about and rushed over to her in a body. "'David, Reddy, and Hippy appeared on the scene, "'as did Mrs. Harlow, accompanied by Miss Thompson. "'Excitement reigned. "'The boys lifted Grace to her feet, but she cried with pain "'and would have fallen had they not held her.' "'She has sprained her ankle,' exclaimed Miss Thompson. "'How did it happen, Grace? I did not see you fall.' "'I don't know, Miss Thompson,' said Grace faintly. "'It all happened so quickly I didn't have time to think about it.' "'It certainly is a shame,' cried Anne, "'and I know—' Just then Grace gave Anne a warning glance and shook her head slightly. Anne closed her lips and was silent. "'What were you saying, Anne?' asked Miss Thompson, but Anne had received her orders. "'I am so sorry that Grace has been hurt,' she said lamely. A carriage was ordered, and Grace was taken home, Anne and Mrs. Harlow accompanying her. Mrs. Harlow sent for their physician, who bandaged the swollen ankle, and told Grace that the sprain was not serious. She refused, however, to go to bed, but lay on the wide lounge in the sitting-room. "'Just keep quiet for a few days, and you'll be all right,' said Dr. Gale. "'You girls are as bad as boys about getting hard knocks. It looks as though basketball were about as barbarous as football.' "'It is a dear old game, and I love it in spite of hard knocks,' said Grace emphatically." "'I like your spirit, Grace,' laughed Dr. Gale. "'Now remember to treat that ankle well if you want to appear again in the basketball arena.' "'Grace,' said Anne, after the doctor had gone, "'you know how it happened, don't you?' "'Yes,' answered Grace, after a little hesitation. "'I do.' "'What are you going to do about it?' asked Anne. "'I don't know,' said Grace. "'I am not sure if it was intentional.' "'Grace,' said Anne, with decision, "'it was intentional. I watched her every minute of the game, for I didn't trust her, and I saw her do it. I was so angry that when Miss Thompson asked how it happened, I felt that I must tell then and there. It was you who prevented me. I think such a trick should be exposed.' "'What a vengeful little Anne,' said Grace. "'You are usually the last one to tell anything.' She took Anne's hand in hers. "'It's just this way, Anne,' she continued. "'If I were to tell what Julia Crosby did, Miss Thompson might forbid basketball. That would be dreadful.' Besides, the juniors would hardly believe me and would say it was a case of sour grapes on account of the sophomores losing the game. So you see, I should gain nothing and perhaps lose a great deal. I believe that people that do mean things are usually repaid in their own coin. Julia didn't really intend to hurt me. Her idea was to prevent me from getting the ball. Of course it was dishonourable, and she knew it. It is strictly forbidden in basketball, and if her own team knew positively that she was guilty, it would go hard with her. There is honour even among thieves, you know.' There was a brief silence. Grace lay back among the cushions, looking very white and tired. Her ankle pained her severely, but the defeat of her beloved team was a deeper hurt to her proud spirit. Anne sat apparently wrapped in thought. She nervously clasped and unclasped her small hands. "'Grace,' she said, 
"'Don't you think it was queer the way the juniors seemed to understand our signals? "'They knew every one of them. "'I believe that they found that list, and it's all my fault. "'I had no business to lose it. "'I felt when I couldn't find it that it would fall into the wrong hands and cause trouble. "'I don't care for myself, but if the girls find it out, they will blame you for giving it to me. "'You know what Miriam said the other day. "'Now she will have a chance to be disagreeable to you about it.' "'Anne was almost in tears.' "'Anne, dear,' said Grace soothingly, "'don't worry about it. "'I am not afraid to tell the girls about that list, "'and I shall certainly do so. "'They will understand that it was an accident and overlook it. "'Besides, we are not sure that the juniors found it. "'I will admit that everything points that way. "'You know David warned us that they had some mischief on hand. "'If they did find it, the only honourable thing to do was to return it. "'They are far more at fault than we are, "'and the girls will agree with me, I know.' "'But Anne was not so confident. "'Miriam will try to make trouble about it. "'I know she will, and I am to blame for this whole thing,' she said.' Grace was about to reply when Mrs. Harlow appeared in the door with a tray of tempting food. Anne rose and began donning her wraps. "'Won't you stay, Anne, and have supper with my invalid girl?' said Mrs. Harlow. "'Please do, Anne,' coaxed Grace. "'I hate eating alone, and having you here takes my mind off my pain.' Anne stayed, and the two girls had a merry time over their meal. Grace, knowing Anne's distress over the lost signals, refused to talk of the subject. Jessica and Nora, David, Hippy, and Reddy dropped in, one after the other, to inquire for Grace.' "'There is nothing like accidents to bring one's friends together,' declared Grace, as the young people gathered around her. "'I told you to look out for squalls, Grace,' said David, "'but you didn't weather the gale very well. "'Those juniors must have been eavesdropping when you made your signal code. "'They understood every play you made. "'By George, I wonder if that were the meaning of that powwow the other day. "'Someone must have put Julia Crosby wise, and that's why she called a meeting at the omnibus house. "'It's an out-of-the-way place, and she thought there was no danger of being disturbed.' "'Who could have been mean enough to betray us?' cried Nora. "'I am sure none of the team did, unless—' Nora stopped short. She had been on the point of using Miriam's name, but remembered just in time that Miriam's brother was present. "'If we knew the girl who did it, we'd certainly cut her acquaintance,' said Reddy Brooks. "'Never again should she bask in the light of our society,' said Hippy dramatically. "'None of our friends would do such a thing,' said David soberly. Then turning to Anne, "'What's your opinion on the subject, Queen Anne?' But Anne could find no answer. She simply shook her head." Grace, knowing Anne's feelings over the affair, came to the rescue. Anne's opinion and mine are the same. We feel sure that they knew our signals, but we believe they accidentally hit upon the knowledge. There is no use in crying over spilt milk. We shall have to change all our signals and take care that it doesn't happen again. And now let's talk of something more agreeable, for basketball is a sore subject with me in more than one sense. The talk drifted into other channels much to Anne's relief. "'I have an idea,' exclaimed Hippy. "'Impossible,' said Reddy. "'No one would ever accuse you of such a thing.' "'Be silent, fellow,' commanded Hippy. "'I will not brook such idle babbling.' He strutted up and down the room, his chest inflated, and one hand over his heart, presenting such a ridiculous figure that he raised a general laugh. "'Speak on, fat one. I promise not to make any more remarks,' said Reddy. "'I propose,' said Hippy, pausing in his march, "'that we give an impromptu vaudeville show for the benefit of Miss Grace Harley, once an active member of this happy band, but now laid on the shelf—couch, I mean—for repairs.' "'Done,' was the unanimous reply. Now, continued Hippy, get cosy, and the show will begin. Miss Nora O'Malley will open the show by singing Peggy Brady, as only an Irish colleen of her pretensions can. Nora rose, looked toward Jessica, who went at once to the piano to accompany her, and sang the song demanded with a fascinating brogue that always brought forth the applause of her friends. She responded to an encore. Then Anne's turn came, and she recited Lasker. Hippy next favoured the company with a comic song, which caused them to shout with laughter. Jessica did her Greek dance, for which she was famous. The performance ended with an up-to-date version of Antony and Cleopatra, enacted by David, Reddy and Hippy, with dialogue and stage business of which Shakespeare never dreamed. 
It was a product of Hippy's fertile brain, and the boys had been rehearsing it with great glee, in view of appearing in it on some fitting occasion before the girls. David, gracefully draped in the piano cover, represented Egypt's queen, and languished upon Mark Antony's shoulder in the most approved manner. Ready, as the Roman conqueror left nothing to be desired, the star actor of the piece, however, was Hippy, who played the deadly asp. He writhed and wriggled in a manner that would have filled a respectable serpent with envy, and in the closing scene bit the unfortunate Cleopatra so venomously that she howled for mercy, and instead of dying gracefully, arose and engaged in battle with his snake-ship. Grace forgot her sprained ankle and laughed until the tears rolled down her cheeks. "'You funny, funny boys!' she gasped. "'How did you ever think of anything so ridiculous?' "'Hippy perpetrated the outrage,' said David, "'and we agreed to help him produce it. "'We have been practising it for two weeks, "'only we don't generally end up with a scuffle. "'I hope you'll pardon us, Grace, "'but the desire to shake that husky Egyptian reptile was irresistible.' "'There is nothing to pardon,' replied Grace, "'and we have only thanks to offer for the fun you have given us.' "'It was indeed a notable performance,' agreed Nora.' "'Girls and boys,' said Anne, "'it is almost ten o'clock, and Grace ought to be in bed. "'I move that we adjourn.' Second the motion,' said David. "'We have been very selfish in keeping poor Grace up when she is ill.' "'Poor Grace is glad you came and isn't a bit tired,' replied Grace, looking fondly at her friends. "'You must all come to see me as often as you can while I am laid up. "'I shall be pretty lonely for a few days.' The young folks departed, singing "'Good-night, ladies,' as they trooped down the walk." "'What a pleasure it is to have such dear good friends,' thought Grace, as she lay back on her couch after they had gone. "'They are well worth all the loyalty I can give them.' She went to sleep that night, unconscious of how soon her loyalty to one of them would be put to the test. End of chapter 6